The character required to do the role of deacon is a character that only the Spirit can infuse upon a person. It is the character of Jesus that can only be given to a person by means of the work of the Spirit. this passage says to us about how they were to choose these seven men. So it says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute. That just means good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So there's three requirements that are set forth. There's three measuring devices, measuring sticks that are put forth, so to speak. One is a good reputation. Two is full of the spirit and three is wisdom. So we could take a lot of time and look at each of those individually. I don't have the time to do that. I want to pick one. So I picked full of the spirit. And I'm just going to make a quick mention of the other two. Good report or good repute, good reputation. It goes without saying that that the way someone has a reputation is they have been observed and not for a short time, but for a long time. And they've been observed in different situations. A reputation means that you have been observed in different life situations, in different contexts, in different things. You've been observed with different people and different things in order to establish a good idea of your character. All right, so it's not wise or practical or really even possible for a deacon to not be known by the church. The church has to know that individual. They have to have have experienced that individual and seen that individual in lots of different contexts and different situations in order for them to be a one of good repute or good reputation. Secondly, the church also has to have a level of discernment. In order to have a good reputation, that reputation has to be held by a body of people that have some capacity to discern some capacity to look at God's word and make discerning decisions about the ones whom they regard among them to, to, to be able to assess whether this person is of good reputation or this person is of a lacking reputation. So those two things kind of kind of go without saying this good reputation. Secondly, I want to just look briefly at wisdom and then we'll spend a few more minutes on full of the spirit. And that's where we're in this morning. So wisdom, the Deacon must be a person of wisdom. Wisdom, I would define as the skill of using God's word effectively to live well in a fallen world. I'd call that wisdom. So wisdom is more than just knowledge. Wisdom requires knowledge. You need to know God's word. But wisdom needs to know God's word and be able to use it in order to live well in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world in which we don't automatically live well. We rather automatically live badly. But it's knowing and using and putting into place God's word that helps us to live well in God's world now. The deacon needs this wisdom not only to live well. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But the deacon needs this wisdom because... The ministry of the office of deacon is largely a ministry of benevolence. 
And once we mention that word, automatically we know, well, benevolence requires what? Wisdom. Benevolence requires great wisdom. Because the ministry of the deacons is not to just be the signers of blank checks for whomever may have a need. The deacon requires great godly wisdom to be able to discern well how the church should best minister to the vulnerable and disadvantaged, how the church should best love one another in situations that can oftentimes be very complex. We won't take the time to go through this, but the Word of God does say much to us about how that is to work itself out. For example, we could look to Paul's letters to Timothy, in which Paul says to Timothy, not every widow among the church is to receive from the church. There, there are certain qualifications that some widows are to receive and other widows are to not receive, and it takes wisdom to work through that. Okay, So we'll just mention that and just sort of put that there, but the people of God must see in the one whom God has called and qualified for the office of deacon. They must see a certain wisdom, not just a heart, that wants to minister to the vulnerable and disadvantaged among ourselves and, and in a secondary way in the world, but a heart that's also wise in doing that. So that's all we'll have time to say about wisdom and good reputation. We'll spend a few more minutes now on full of the Spirit because we're told here that the deacon must be full of the Spirit, or at least the first seven were. In fact, we're told four times that Stephen was full of the Spirit. So what is this full of the Spirit? And what does it mean? And why does the deacon have to be full of the Spirit? So let's think about this for just a little bit. And, and I think that what might help us most would be to just think about what the word full means. And you say, what does full mean? Is it some sort of weird Greek word that means something? No, it means the same thing as our English word full means. So what does full mean? Sometimes that's what biblical interpretation is. It's just common, basic common. What does that word mean? What does full mean? It means that if something's full of something, it means when you look at that thing, you see the fullness. You see what's filling it. You see what it's full of. So this word full is a common word in the New Testament. We find it in places like Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel. Remember the two instances where Jesus multiplies the breadfish? And at the end, they go and they have these baskets and they collect up the leftovers. And they all say the same thing, that those baskets were full. So what does that mean? It just means that when you looked at that basket... You didn't see the bottom of the basket. You saw what was filling the basket. And what was filling the basket was the leftover bread. It's just as simple as that. That's what it was full of. The basket was full. You looked at the basket and it was clear to you that the basket has been filled by bread. It was something that you could perceive. Or Luke will use the same word to describe, for example, in chapter 4, I think it is, he describes a man who is full of leprosy. What does that mean? It means when you looked at the man, 
The poor man was covered with leprosy. He didn't just have leprosy on a hand or on an arm. When you looked at him, his entire body was covered with leprosy. It was full of leprosy. Or we think of Tabitha, we mentioned Tabitha earlier. Tabitha, Luke says, she was full of good works. So when you looked at Tabitha, you always saw her doing good works. She just was always doing good works. Later in chapter 19, Paul's going to describe the mob at Ephesus. Remember the mob at Ephesus when Paul preaches the gospel there, people start believing and they start throwing their idols and their magic books in the fire and the people get all mad and there's this big mob. Luke says that the mob was full of rage. What does that mean? That means you looked at these people and it was clear. The look on their face, their fists in the air, the, the rocks they were throwing was clear that these people were filled with rage. And so it literally just means that. Just that, nothing more than that, that there's something perceptible when you regard the person or you regard the basket or you regard the mob. There's something that's evident, that's clear, that's perceptible, that's filling them, that's, that's directing them, that's defining them now. The, the leftover bread is now defining the shape of the basket. And so when you look to the individual who is full of the Spirit, you see someone whose dominant influence is the Spirit of God. You see someone who might not just have this aspect of their life that's in tune with God or that aspect over there, but instead you see someone whose dominant characteristic of life has been shaped by the Spirit. You see someone whom the effects of the Spirit, remember Jesus in John 3, you don't see the wind, but you see the effect of it. You see the effect of the Spirit. Think of Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit. You see someone that the, the effect of the Spirit is something that shapes and guides that person. They are full of the Spirit. They are defined. The Spirit is their influence. The work of the Spirit pervades their life. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. The bigger question though, is why is that necessary? I mean, after all, they were just managing food. Why was that necessary? Couldn't anybody that was capable be given some instructions to say, here's how we want this done. We don't want the Greek widows neglected. We don't want this and we don't want that. And so here, you guys take care. Couldn't it just have been anybody? Why did it have to be people full of the Spirit? Because the scriptures teach us that the character required to do the role of deacon is a character that only the spirit can infuse upon a person. It is the character of Jesus that can only be given to a person by means of the work of the spirit. The character of Jesus is undeniably the character of a deacon. Picture in your mind, John 13, wrapping the cloth around, taking the wash basin, kneeling, and washing the feet that in just a few hours will run away while he's being shackled. Think of the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 
three and four, you mentioned this earlier. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let each of you look not only to his own needs, but the needs of others. Let everyone consider others more significant than themselves. This is the mind of Jesus, which is yours in Christ. Look at Luke chapter 22. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. In other words, which one of us should be served? And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It's the one who reclines at the table. But I am among you as the one who serves. It is the character of Jesus that's needed and it is only the spirit that can impart that character. The deacon is the Christian who finds delight because they have been filled with this particular character trait of Jesus. And so therefore they find delight in serving the body and leading the body to love one another in that way, taking special care and special attention to the vulnerable and the disadvantaged among God's people. This is a grace of the Lord that must come by way of the Spirit. And so therefore, this is not of human making. We can't study the Scriptures and say, I'd like to be a deacon. Let me just learn how to be a deacon. It must be something that God does in a person's heart. Because the grace, the gift of serving in this way is the work of the Spirit. Look with me at Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31 is the first instance in all the Scripture in which we hear of filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. So the entirety of Genesis and most of Exodus, all the story of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, none of that do we hear about anybody being filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit. It's not until Exodus 31 that we hear of someone being filled with the Spirit. And here it is. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel. And you say, Bezalel? Who was Bezalel? I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic divines, designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. So God had given to, to Moses the design of the tabernacle on the mountain, remember? And he said, just as I've given you, just as I've shown you, make it so. And this tabernacle included all these ornate types of fittings and furniture and different things. And God says, I have taken this man Bezalel and I've filled him with the Spirit so that he might make those things. So the making of those artistic things was a work of the Spirit in him. So here's what we see from that. We see that when God calls, God equips. He who places the calling equips the workman. So if it's God's work, God must equip even in the things of the tabernacle. It's the things of the tabernacle that God equips him for. He who designs the work equips the workman. Now the work of loving one another, the work of compassionate ministry to the body and secondarily to the world, 
the work of compassionate ministry is a work of the Spirit. The Scriptures tell us this, for example, Romans chapter 12. Having gifts that differ among according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So what this says, connect this back to the beginning of that sentence. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let the one who does acts of mercy do it with cheerfulness. So acts of mercy are a grace. They can be faked. But genuine acts of mercy and compassion are a grace that God equips to the one whom he has called. When God designs that worker, God equips that worker with the grace that that worker needs to do what God has designed him to do. One last place, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, etc. So even gifts of helping are considered by the Apostle Paul as a gift of grace from the Lord. What a beautiful plan that God has put into place in His body of believers. To say to His body of believers, these are the two things. These two things. They must exist in any church and for, for there to be life in that church, for there to be hope in that church. There must be faith and there must be love for one another. And then God doesn't just leave us to sort of grope our way in the blind to find those things. He then creates an office for each one to example and to lead in each one. And then he gives gifts to the ones he calls to those offices. He equips the ones that he calls to those offices. And then he gives the discernment to the body that the body body would then recognize who is gifted and called among God's people to fill those two offices. 